Oh, it's been a long time since I got to rip into a good yo there. We're back from our self-imposed winter break. Well, it's not really winter out here, guys. You know what I'm saying? In California, it's February and it's it was 70 something degrees and sunny here yesterday. Got down to a balmy 51 at night. It was 60 and, uh, here. Felt great. Uh, today's today's a little bit cooler. It's like 66 today. It's I'm, it's I had like to put a sweatshirt on. Did you say 66 on purpose? Why? Fury 66? This or is 66. 66. Oh, this 66. is this is episode 66, Jason. Get I did kicks. Right. I legitimately kicks didn't know 66. Hey, I don't know the numbers. I stopped keeping I have track. to look. I have, I have to, to look, look and I and I also misnumber them on when I'm editing them all the fucking time. So today, Jason, tell the people what we're here for. We're talking about Revelation Records. Number 66, Rev number 66, Quest for Certainty by Shelter, originally released by Equal Vision in 1992, released by Rev in 1998. What was this, EVR4? Oh, that I don't know, but Six? I have a CD yeah. right in front of me. Something like that, yeah. Wait, do you have the CD, Jason, or you have the vinyl? I have the CD. I With thought the, that I had it. the CD. I don't have this. I thought that I picked this up on CD at Book Off recently, but I actually picked up Mantra on cd so now i just have the 2018 2018 version okay. and uh the original evr cassette and then the uh indonesian bootleg on rocket so i thought i i thought for some reason that i picked up the og evr cd because i wanted all the bonus stuff but I, I couldn't find it. And that's one of the perils of, Is as you know. Is the same bonus stuff on the EVR as the Rev CD? I think so, right? I think uh, so. But, but I feel like because there was so many versions, I feel like there's a version out there that doesn't have all of the Kirtan on there. It, yeah. Hey, you know what? Before we get too deep into all of this talk, I think that we probably should take some time to... So I'm going to go first because I got yeah, the biggest, yeah. biggest yeah, bit of bow. Um, by the time you're hearing this, you already know it's already been all over the Internet. Mm-hmm. A bit of bow to our, our friends at Iodine Records. Um, they are releasing a 30th anniversary edition of Quicksand's monumental debut full length slip. Um, I do not say this lightly. It's one of my favorite records of all time, any genre. Um, I'm happy that it's going to be uh, not only reissued, it's like remastered from the original, you know, analog tapes or or whatever uh, it is for people that are. Um, yeah, it is actually remastered from the original tapes by Jack Shirley, uh, who worked with Deaf Heaven, Joyce Manor. Uh, other stuff of that nature. It's the first time it's been on vinyl since I think the 20th anniversary. They maybe did a small run uh, music on vinyl or one of those. Uh, it's uh, they actually, Jason, you'll like this. The mm-hmm. artwork is reconstructed using the original elements, refreshed colors uh, and refreshed clarity. So it's not like a bogus, you know, photocopy type deal 
So it's going to look yeah. really nice. There's a deluxe gatefold edition uh, that actually was designed by friend of the pod uh, and Rev alumni Jeff Cotto from Game Face. Oh, sick. He did uh, design for it. Um, and fitting in with this episode, the book, there's a version with a hardcover book, includes commentary from people like Scott Ian uh, from Anthrax, people from Thursday, Haven, love Haven, Steve Brodsky, who, uh, aside from being just a fucking musical wizard, he <laughs> plays with Quicksand and it's so good when you see them with him. It's like, it's, uh, you know, last time I saw him, he was with them. Rise Against and Kate 08 from 108 uh, writes something for the book. And that's who we talked to on the episode. But yeah, Iodine Records, um, you want to hit up iodinerecords.com. Uh, I think Rev has some copies. Uh, you're going to have to poke around because a lot of the versions are sold out because this thing literally set the internet on fire. Yes, um, it did. When it came out. Um, and we'll talk a little more next time about some of the other iodine releases. For now, I'll just say I would focus on getting that slip before yeah. it's gone because you know if you don't get it, you're going to regret it because a dear friend once told me the time to buy it is when you see it. And that's true because already hey, a lot of these versions. I'm are so happy that I bought the rival schools duffel bag because that was like, that's probably the only time you'll ever be able to buy it. I yeah. use it every day and I have no regrets about spending the little bit of extra money for something that I like. Yeah. Yeah. The record. And I'm regretting too. not getting the book. Uh -huh. Rival schools one that was the yeah got same there. here. Uh -huh. I did you got I got the regular one. No, I just bought the um, duffel bag and the record. Also, if you go to iodinerecords.com, there's a bunch of other stuff that you can check out besides the slip. I mean, like you said, we'll focus on some of the others later. They have a blend. They have a quicksand dynalone espresso blend. What a bag of coffee yes. that you could order, and you can get an iodine mug. To drink that coffee out of. And they I, I don't know. Have, hey, hey, hey. Do they only have espresso or do they have coffee too? Do you know? It says right Dine Alone Espresso Blend Coffee. Do you know? There's a espresso espresso probably a coffee, but it's just like Yeah, because I don't. I, I mean, we just have a coffee maker here at the house. I'm not a fucking millionaire. I would say. I, I, I bet espresso it's, machine in the house. I think I bet, it's probably just beans. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I would I bet or, it's dark roast. I bet espresso blend means dark mm, roast. I don't fuck with dark roast. Oh, you don't? Oh, we've talked about this before. Light roast only, man. Ah, I, I go dark. I'm with you, Hav. I'm not a dark roast. Yeah, but and you're actually also drinking say, a fucking 64 of Coca-Cola right now. <laughs> hey, let's Dude, be fair. I had a, it's a I Coke had a, Zero. <laughs> I had an ice cold Coke Zero before we started. I needed that, Dude, that hey, kick. But um, I needed to pick me up also. Uh, yeah, iodine. And it's been the label uh, started in the 90s in Boston um, and then stopped in the mid 2000s. And, uh, you know, Casey just kind of felt that music was missing from his life and started the label back up uh, a couple that. of years ago. And now, I mean, it's, it's thriving. Oh, uh, yeah. Her head's on oh. fire. Had the record there and Guys. Uh, we talked to before. So yeah, check out iodinerecords.com. Um, hey. And there's going to be more cool stuff coming. Dine alone, espresso blend coffee brought to you by our good friends at Essex Coffee Roasters. Ah, uh -huh. nice. all in a bow. And it's a pre-order. 
um dark roast blend limited to, to only 50 bags it actually looks really fucking cool i'm not gonna order it but i appreciate that it's there i think that's really great you know who writes something for the book i just noticed now mm. um matt pinfield of 120 uh, minutes oh, fame uh-huh. not surprised i mean this yeah. is one of the best records ever yeah, I mean in the history is, of music. This is a and, and in my 90s opinion. for sure. Right. And I it's mean, it's so good that it's their second best record too. <laughs> that we can save for a bonus episode. <laughs> we can and see you patrons. I believe it's still up. We did a Patreon episode with Quicksand for their uh for distant populations when it came out. So if you want to sign up to should, be a patron, maybe we should release that to the, the world. Yeah, maybe. That's better maybe enough we'll time. The statute of limitations has passed. Yeah. And, uh, Jason. I think, did we do one on slip? I just realized. we. Yes. I think we did. We with did. Pops, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to put that out too. Jason, do you got anyway. anything to kick? Jason, do you have anything? Shout, I have one more shout. thing, but I, I, people oh. are tired of hearing my voice, I'm sure. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, if uh, we talk to Steve and Kaylee, you go to Merch Now, I'm going to give you a little insider tip that you can get youth of the day and judge merch sometimes after they tour, they put it up there. That's just for everyone listening. That's just and, and would, a pro would, merch tip. Would you be able to purchase a youth of today shirt designed by Jason Mazzola on merch mm-hmm. now? Oh, thank you. You could. You could pick yourself up the can't close my eyes shirt that I was where's so mine? excited to. Uh, I know where's my shirt. Where's mine? Where's my shirt? For, for yeah. Hey, <laughs> Do you even we, get one, Jason? Are we? Are we I supposed one, to get yeah. those from from Rev or no, from Merch now? Jason's, Jason's hoarding them, I think. I know I mean, he's, he's like, got I got them in a box <laughs> over here. Have a box with yours. <laughs> I actually have stuff to send you. A bit of bow here to um, the record label Find a Way Records sent uh, us copies of this new album from the band Out of Trust. They're from um, Oxnard. Uh, you might be like Out of Trust. Well, first off, this is their first release. It looks really nice. Um, Out of Trust features Joe Rivas, who you probably heard on 185 Miles South uh, a bunch of times. He's been a guest on there. He's like in, uh, you know, Orange, not Orange County, Oxnard, Nardcore, Staple. Um, and this is like, you know, melodic. It sounds like what you think. It's, it's cool. Sounds like, you know, melodic, hardcore, punk. And uh, the record is by the band Out of Trust, and it's self-titled, and it's the first release on Find Away Records. So check them out at findawaylabel.com. Thanks for sending the records. Well, before we get into the episode, I just want to give a bit of bow to, uh, as usual, the hardcore podcast sphere. Um, right now, I've really been enjoying 185 Miles South. Uh, I was every time I listen to the 25 to Life lyrics game, I'm like, how could you not fucking know what this line is, you guys? Come on. And so I hit up Zach and and I was like, listen, I gotta do, I gotta be on, I gotta go against the champ on the trivia. I gotta go against the champ on the fucking 25 to life lyrics. And he, so he said, he's going to get me in there next month. And after I agreed to that, I got nervous because I'm like, what if I 
fuck it up. Uh, you got, I can't, I can't let the team down. So I got a, I've been listening to 25 to life for the past week. Um, I've ordered a bootleg 25 to life shirt, which is that's <laughs> like so meta right there. You know what I mean? Like a bootleg 25 to life shirt. Just think about that. Um, but also I gotta, I gotta give it up to the hard lore podcast. Um, they're doing a, some really great content and not just audio, but their visual, uh, com, you know, compendium, their visual aspect of it on YouTube. Great. They did a really cool, fun, uh, episode where they went to Salem with Kurt Ballou and, uh, Kurt Ballou's also hilarious. I think I talked about this on our recent Patreon only episode, but listen, also a wizard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wizard. Yeah. You know, and and maybe because I've never met Kurt Ballou. The only person from Converge that I know is Nate Newton. Great dude. I think because Kurt Ballou is so talented, I always assumed that he was going to be very serious, you know, and, and his stage presence just seems kind of serious. But then when he starts talking, he's so goddamn funny. I feel like Everyone in Converge, I don't, again, I don't know them. They seem like swell, funny humans. And also, I I love Converge. While you guys are in there listening to your fucking youth crew records, I was listening to Converge and Well, what label label did converge put out records on equal vision equal so vision. i was gonna say this ties uh-huh. in because of uh-huh. that but also i actually was and i still do like converge uh-huh. at that time they were one of the bands that i did love and mm. bought the records from uh saw them and i will say it was because equal vision which i i don't know if i talked about during the you know main channel or whatever but at that time in the 90s they were the label. So basically, if something mm. was on there, I was more prone to check it out. And Converge was kind of one of those when they reissued um, When Forever Comes Crashing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that made me a, a fan. Mm-hmm. Speaking of hardcore pods, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Irrelevant and Illiterate Podcasts, a newer pod. Uh, an old friend of mine from the Philly scene. He's a Delaware guy, Dennis. Um, it's a not really a hardcore podcast per se, but it's just super funny. And they post a lot of clips on their Instagram because I know now a lot of people, myself included, maybe don't sit down to listen to a podcast, but watch like little, you know, TikTok type clips for, you know, stuff. So if you check out I-R-R-A-N-D-I-L-L on Instagram, um, and who knows, maybe I'll pop up on there sometime. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, also, that's... Uh, coffee and hardcore podcast. Bidipo. Yeah, support uh, other pods. Support yeah, other support, pods. Support the other and pods. If, and and I try to tell people this. I'm not trying to make us seem like martyrs, but this stuff's a lot of work. People Dude, are so doing much work. it. Like, oh. if if they have a Patreon, um, because I wanted to, one more bit of bow, and I promise I'm done. Uh, I've been listening to the last couple episodes of End on End. Our friend, you know, we've talked to Brian before on here. Jason's doppelganger. And uh, they had a great episode on uh, Shudder to Think, Get Your Goat. Um, 
recently and just some really cool stuff and uh yeah just support listen rate review patreon let me end it with one more there's a podcast called the new scene that iodine sponsors and it's oh, really, right. really good it's on my weekly rotation for pods i listen to so i, wanted I can to shout confirm that one this. out jason sends us tells us jason's the pod god i do i send you i send the chat check out this pod messages daily i'm pretty sure is this pod of the year <laughs> that needs to be uh, yeah, we'll talk about that a sick desperation yeah. we'll talk about that on the outro <laughs> yeah all right uh let's I'll kick the it. episode and also i'm just gonna say it right here too for patrons you have to be a patreon supporter to listen to bonus content including like I don't know, sometimes up to 60 minutes of us talking about this record. It's not going to be on the main channel. So go to the website, sign up for Patreon. I'm going to say it. That's it. Because I know usually I give that spiel at the end of the episode. We'll start getting it out of the way now. Let's get out of the way now. Including some of the chat with guests. We're going to, you know, sometimes we take. Yeah, Mike DC was on one. Yeah. Sometimes we have tangents and interviews that. Patrons will get to hear the whole, you know, uncut. I, I'm band. I'm constantly blown away that people want to pay money to listen to my voice, but God, I'm I'm very grateful. So okay. thanks for all of the support. And now it is time to kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it. Kick it. with the the equal vision catalogs and stuff what was so we know from what i've read that raganath started the label and then you you all took it over what was the first release where you you know switched changed hands or whatever uh ho- holy name okay and that i'm trying uh, to think the, of the 108 you know the 108 ep so, and like then it, it was, was already it was already recorded. Rudge had already recorded it, but nothing nothing else was done. Um, you know, it wasn't just sitting there, kind of like unpressed. I mean, uh, you know, I, I Ruggenath and I were on tour together with Youth today. Um, somewhere along the line of, of like just every city we went that had a, a Krishna temple. Um, we would sleep over and sometimes we're in cities for a couple of days and, um, and, you know, it was quite a thing. I had never stayed over in the temple before that. I had some, some books and stuff like that. And I wanted, uh, you know, like I, I knew the crow mags, whatever it was, but when we got back, um, we were both done. I think we decided somewhere like in Seattle that we were gonna, um, uh, move into the temple when we got got back, and when we got back to New York, we did. 
And then uh, he was going to India, and I met. Uh, I mo- we moved in on John Mostamy in 1988, and uh, um, at the John Mostamy Festival at the Brooklyn Temple, um, someone came from Gita Nagri, uh, this the devotee Balabhadra, and he was doing like a, had a booth for people like they had a, a program called Adopt a Cow, and like so he had a little booth at, at John Mostamy because so many people come. And somehow I got to talk to him and he found out that like, you know, I worked on a farm when I was a kid in high school and, uh, you know, whatever, I knew some farming. He's like, oh, you got to come here. And I kind of took that as like the first person to tell me like, oh, this is something I got to do. And I just kind of took it to heart. And then uh, I I moved to the farm and I lived there for uh, just over three years. And uh, Raghunath moved there for about six months and was there. And then he he said, when he came, because we, it was pre-internet, we had no means to communicate at all. Like uh, if I went, if I went to New York Rathiatra, I'd see him. But then I never saw him for the first couple of years. And uh, he uh, he came and stayed for a while at Gidenagri, which was fun because uh, he basically put on a pair of overalls and then walked around the roads of the farm playing Redunga <laughs> as his farming thing. But he looked really good. But uh, he uh, he told me that he had made a, a band, a Krishna conscious band. And I think they'd already made Perfection of Desire, but it wasn't it wasn't out or anything. Um, but he said with the dudes from 76% certain and, uh, and Tom Capone and uh, Revelation was putting it out. And that's that was the last I heard. And then uh, I would go to some shows. Um, I would go to some shows at this club called Unisound in uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, the woman who was like kind of like the matriarch of Gita Nagri, uh, Mother Kalini, she was really nice to me, and she had a um, uh, like a I guess he was like sixteen or seventeen year old son who like, you know, grown up in the movement, went to school in India, um, came back and went to, you know, Krishna school at the, at the farm. And then it just ended when he was like 15 years old. And so he's thrown from that, like basically, you know, going to school in Vrindavan to going to school in like, you know, a real kind of rural, you know, hickish County in, in Pennsylvania who already the whole you know outside the community they know the the the, the, the Krishnas they call us the Ishkans you know the, if you were if you lived on the farm and so he he was kind of like you know just a young kid and I was twenty you know twenty two or something years old and um, I just became friends with him and I said you know do you know what hardcore is and he didn't know what hardcore was and so. Uh, I think I must I must have written a letter. I must have written a letter to Jordan, and Jordan sent a bunch of cassettes. And so I gave them to him, and then he wanted to go to shows. And so um, I started to take him to shows at Unisound when, when Judge would come through or that uh, Shelter Inside Out tour came through. Um, I don't think anything else. I, I don't remember what else we went to, but just, just a few. And I would go like, you know, Doty, you know, book bag, just like full on book kind of distribution. (laughs) 
Um, but I met a lot of people there. I met, you know, Kalpavriksha, um, uh, Anandini. I don't know if you know them, but they were like, you know, Jersey kids that went to Unisound. So I, I left the temple. I was having a hard time at Gitanagri. Um, and, uh, I went out and, and I, I, like, I, I, whatever it was, some political, some spiritual, but I, uh, I had to get out of there. And, uh, so I had a plan to, uh, um, get to California because I knew that Revelation had moved to California and I knew that Purcell was out there. And somehow I felt that like this was a good transition to, for me to go and be around Purcell. Um, but actually Purcell lived on 14th street. So how was no, that? No, no, he, when I moved out the farm, he lived in California. Okay. 14th Street. He, lived he was riding his motorcycle around Huntington Beach. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> no comment. Um, and so, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I left, you know, after three something years of the farm, I walked out of there with zero, zero dollars. And so I went, um, I don't know if you know, uh, Chris Daly's <laughs> smorgasbord. He lives in, he lived in uh, York, Pennsylvania. And uh, he came and picked me up and brought me to his house. And uh, I, in one day, I got a telemarketing job. And I did that uh, trying to sell tickets to some circus for the, some policeman's fund or something like that, some total bullshit. But they told me that the, the numbers were all uh, censored and you couldn't dial any number that wasn't in your range of calls by the second day, I found out that that wasn't true. And so I just started calling people, kind of arranging my escape. And, you know, I called and and uh, and talked to, to uh, Purcell. And he's like, dude, get out here, man. It's fucking awesome. It was awesome, whatever, you know. And then I talked to Walter and uh, then Richie. And Richie said that he had a... Uh, uh, a new band and they were going on tour and I could come with them. Wait, I have an interesting side story that I'm going to interject into this. I was at the same exact time this was happening. I already knew Steve. I was playing in project Kate with, I was playing with uh, Sergio and Alan. And then after quicksand would practice in Sergio and Alan's basement so I was in the basement, we were practicing and Walter walked down the stairs and he go, and he said, Steve Reddy's blooped out of the Krishnas. And I was like, <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I always had a crush on him. Like from the time I was like a teenager, a little teenager, but he was much older, you know? So, uh, so that, that's the little side note. And then it was like, people were like, yeah, we, I somehow, He's out, he's going to California and he has, and the funny, it's so funny. He had, a, he's got a pair of jams, which was like Maya. Do you guys even know what jams are? Yeah. They were like, um, like the skateboarding shorts and proud yeah. someone lost them at the farm. But I was like, why is it like, I didn't know about Whatever the I had in 1988 is what I had at the farm. I went to the farm and, and, and then I wore, you know, farm clothes that I picked out of a a, a box usually at, at the at the temple. They like someone's pants that they donated, or you know, once on Christmas I got a pair of Carhartt pants or something. 
But like uh, that was it. But then my my Carmi clothes were whatever I brought to the farm when I went there in 1988. So if if I jams, that's because I wore them on the Youth of Today tour or something. Or maybe Chris Daly gave them to me. I don't remember what that was. But. Skids. They were popular too. Big this? symbol of Maya. <laughs> so then you so, went to California. So um, the funny thing was, you know, I mean, people could have like called the farm and left a message. I guess that's kind of weird um, to do. But like for the three years or something I was there, no one ever tried to contact me. None of these people. And then I was out one day and if if I had a cell phone, it would have been blowing up for the people that were like, Hey, yeah, yeah. You know, but whatever I, I got out there and uh to california on the first into another tour which was you know a little rough the record was supposed to be out and it wasn't out and people were expecting underdog and they got robot whales so (laughs) you know it was uh it was really something i remember the first show was like in pittsburgh i think and uh, you know, they first they, they Richie and Drew. Get, Richie's doing the Frankenstein walk. If you do, they don't know. But Richie and Drew come out, and they're like in their you know seventies, like hippie kind of clothes thing. And uh, there's like I don't know if you know. I think uh, what was his band? Tony Erba. Anyone know his band? Oh yeah, Face Value. Face Value, right, right. Yeah. Um, he is like he's got his foot on the side of the stage, and he's. He's rocking and like getting ready to land that first stage dive. And all of a sudden they're like, bruh, bruh. <laughs> by the end of the show, there's like 10 people watching, you know, because like people just wanted hardcore and they, they didn't get it. They got into another. And so it was, uh, it was a, 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 a tough tour. But when we got out to California, we got to Revelation and Purcell had had left. Never said anything to me. Never tried to contact me. Just moved back to New York, and so I was happy to stay because there was a lot of work to do there. And I, I like I always liked Jordan, so um, I lived there and worked there. And then uh, I came back and you know, kind of started to date Kate. And uh, when it was time for me to go back to California, I didn't feel like going. And you so, have to tell the story about how we, we saw each other at Lollapalooza. I, I have to tell that one. But, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but then uh, then I, I didn't want to like move in with her, even though I was staying there because I had nowhere to stay. Um, I went and found Purcell, uh, who it wasn't easy to find him because... He lived in this apartment on 14th Street, and he didn't have a phone, and the apartment didn't have a buzzer. So basically, I walked from the Lower East Side over to the West Side, like 14th and like 10th or something. Where was it, Sweetie? Do you remember? Yeah, it's it's funny because at the time, now that's like the trendiest area. It was the, but it it's it was the meatpacking district. Yeah, sketchy, that. But now the meatpacking district is like Stella McCartney and all these designer shops, and it's like all these. But at the time, like once you crossed Ninth Avenue, it was like abandoned and dark and there was no people there at all. And it was like it was sort of beyond the line of demarcation. And it was like, you know, like you didn't walk past Ninth Avenue ever. So it was pretty sketchy. 
on the and there was a, a pool. I remember there was like a pool. Yeah, like I only had like a backpack or probably like a messenger bag that was all my stuff. And I would walk over there and kind of yell up to his window. Yeah. And if he didn't answer, then I'd walk back over to the Lower East Side and ring Kate's buzzer and say he wasn't there. And finally, finally, I got a hold of him. And I said, hey, can I stay here? And he said, yeah. And um, and so the first night there, I mean, I hadn't seen him since I, I'm, like, I, I guess I saw him when Judge played. So I seen him once in four, you know, three or four years. And he kept me up all night, asked me questions about Krishna consciousness. And then that next day, uh, we, we, I think we went to the Wednesday night feast. And then we went back on Sunday and he bought a bead bag. And it was like 24-7 walking around. You know, I started work at, down to earth where he and Siv worked. But all we would do was like, he'd ask me stuff about Krishna consciousness. And then we went. We all went and and visited the farm. Um, right? When, was that a uh, how? It, no, I thought you guys worked at. Oh yeah, no, I thought you worked at Prana. No, you worked at Down to Earth. No, no. But uh, we went and visited the farm, and uh, when we got back, Purcell decided that he wanted to move there, and I wasn't really ready to move there. But he's like, you know, dude, you got to do it with me. And so one of the main problems at the farm was that, like, I really didn't have any peers. It was mostly Prabhupada disciples and then the kids of the Prabhupada disciples. So, like, as far as, like, someone my own age or at my own level of Krishna consciousness that I could relate to, like, it's kind of non-existent. The people were really nice, but I was alone. Like, I remember, like, a whole week went by, and I can't remember if, you know, outside of, like— except my obeisances, if I had said anything that week, you know, if I talked to any other person, it was just like, you know, there weren't many people living there. So when Purcell came, we wanted to go back. I was like, you know, okay. And the farm, the farm wanted me back. So I, we went back and, uh, and I was having, it was great. He was fun. We would have fun, you know, like, you know, like, I don't know. Have any of you lived in the temple? Like, okay. So, no, but well, so we're we're at uh, I think we're at Guru Puja, and he's you know he's new like and so he um, he sneezed. <laughs> I remember this. He sneezed, and I just like put my hands on my face like this, and he's like, "What?" I was, I was like, "You sneezed in the temple room," and he's like, I, "What?" I said, like, "You have to go around to each person and say." Forgive me, Prabhu, for I have sneezed. <laughs> you know, right when he went to do it, <laughs> I grabbed him like, dude, I'm fucking with you, man. Like, that's not real. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, is that what happened was me and Purcell and, and Sachi, it was going to be, it was Gaur Panim. Oh, okay, that's right. I knew it was a Gaur Chaitanya's appearance day. And so we we borrowed the Into Another Van. Is that what we did? That's what we did, yeah. That's when we moved there. Okay, so somehow we drove. How did we get there? We drove down, and then we stayed overnight at Gitanagri. That's when Purcell decided that he was going to move there. We went for Gaur Panim to Gitanagri, and then we came back. And then the three of us were we were gonna like it was the days when you would like go to the video store, and we we went and we rented the movie Dances with Wolves, and we were going to watch Dances with <laughs> Wolves. 
and we put it on and it was like already like, you know, whatever we were like, it was like 11 o'clock at night and we watched like an hour of it. And Purcell was like, this is Maya. This is, this is crazy. So somehow like we called Richie we got the van out of storage and we like just like loaded our stuff in there and like drove to Gitanagri at like two in the morning or some, something crazy. I remember the sun coming up and then they stayed and I went back cause I was in college, but it was like, a, it was like a, it was like now or never kind of a situation. It was like, we were, yeah. I mean, we just sort of got in the van and drove to Gitanagri and then they stayed. That's how I remember it. Anyway. We were probably there a month. And it was good. And then I went. Oh, yeah, I that was Lord. Then that was Lord Nishringadev's appearance day when we drove down. Right. I went. I went back to New York to visit Kate one weekend. And when I came back, there was just a note from Capo on the door, where the room where Palmer and I were, Purcell and I were staying, and said, uh, uh, "I took Purcell, Harry Bow." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he he went there with Ravinda Saroop, and uh, they took him to Philadelphia, and that was it. I was back there alone on the farm, and uh, they did their thing. And then Kate came that summer, and uh, she was new. Um, it wasn't easy, and I realized that you know if I want to do this with her, uh, I got to do something else. So I called up Capo and said, hey, can I move to Philadelphia? And he said, yeah. And then I, then I just started doing equal vision. But the, the refuse to fall and the two shelters, seven inches, had already like kind of come and gone before my time. And, they and refused to fall. Yeah, I said refuse to fall. So Okay, okay. But, That's a long story of how we start yeah. took over equal vision. I love it. Love yeah, it. That's great. That's, great what, that's, that's what we do. That's what we do. Um, so then, yeah, the 108, and then... So one, I'll, I'll, I can tell a good story about 108. Please. You know, I mean, we... So Vic is in, Vic's in, in charge, and uh, um, I'm making this... Uh, I'm doing the reproduction at Disc Makers. I don't remember, like, I get, you know, this many CDs and this many LPs and this many cassettes for this much money. And uh, and we do it, and I get um, uh, I don't get a test CD. I think I just get a test cassette. And on the cassette, you don't realize that it's all one track. It's side A and side B. <laughs> yeah. and, but but you can't, didn't know you can't tell that there, there's a. So when I get the CD, and the CD is one track, I go ballistic. Like, I'm like, are you kidding me? You, why would you approve this? He's like, I, I didn't want people to be able to um, skip the Tulsi prayers. Mm. And I was like, I thought that was a rumor. I didn't think that was confirmed. No, that was completely true. I, I oh. was like, you know, I can't send this out to, to radio because, like, that was where they did. You send it out to college radio, it actually yeah. meant something. And uh, so I was like, really, you know, this kind of started a, a rocky, uh, how to do business relationship between Rudsky Shore and I. So <laughs> he was a level of uh Brahmachari dedication. I'm jumping diplomatic that is hard to, I mean, at the time, if you moved into the temple, 
you were, it was like the, the commitment was all or nothing. I mean, you couldn't even like, if you didn't live in the temple, then you weren't a devotee at all. There, it was only the generation like after us, I was at the end right. of the generation. So if you were like, and you definitely weren't getting initiated. So Vraj Kishore was like a tendency toward being like actually quite scholarly and like, I mean, the temple, the temple, like higher authorities, like loved him. I mean, I, I think they thought he might even, I mean, I think we all thought he might be like the next sannyasi. Like we thought he was, cause he was so like committed and dedicated. So at the time, you know, like I guess forcing people to, I mean, there was, there was a book distribution tape that was like tape is hilarious. There was like a set of tapes you could like listen to. So you would get fired up to do book distribution. And the title of the tape was grab them and force them to take a book. That was like, and you were like, Oh, let me take out the grab them and force them to take a book like <laughs> tape and listen to that. So there was like a level of sort of, you know, fanatical, like, I mean, at the time it was the last portion of, you know, of, you know, it was actually only like oh, sort of a decade after Prabhupada left. So we really thought, like, if we just do a good job, we'll take over the world. Everybody in the world will be a devotee. So forcing people to listen to Tulsi prayers, that seems probably... On brand, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the time, yeah. But it is interesting because, like, you know, like Steve asked, like, oh, did any of you guys live in the temple? And it's like, you know, I'm a devotee, Hav's a devotee. And it's like, no. And like you said, that would have been unheard of in 1992 it just didn't know you just were if you didn't move it you were like in the process of moving in and then if you didn't after a certain time then i think they just sort of gave up on you like you weren't serious enough to to matter you know and it was it was sort of and you know there there are things that you you learn and go through through with the temple that you can't get anywhere else so i i do get it but I'm, i'm also happy that it's it's like there's a congregation now there didn't that didn't used to be true it was all monastic it was all like you moved into the temple or forget it so but yeah steve reddy was the voice of (laughs) of moderation and intelligent you know kind of how do you do this and still live in the world actually one time we were asked what do you what's your what's your service going to be and he said i just i want to be like a, a really good neighbor to my the people in my town. And it was like, at the time I was like, don't say that. But I realize now that for devotees, that's actually really, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. It's very forward thinking, honestly, like, um, and it probably speaks to why you're going to have a really nice lawn. And he does, he does. That's, but it means the people in the town that we live in, and you know, think, Oh, these people are really nice and they have their lives together. So so having, you know, pr- pressing records that aren't all on one track is part of that. <laughs> that was really crazy. I remember getting that CD. I mean, it, it had been out for a few years by that point. And then being, I even just assumed, oh, I guess they want you to listen to the whole thing, you know, because it didn't have the skip tracks. And then I guess the next big release, not to jump around, would have been The Shelter Attaining right. the Supreme, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that was a very big record, I'm assuming, for the for Equal Vision. Sure. I mean, you know, I mean, we we might have shipped two or three thousand that first week, 
you know, not not just like that, uh, you know, different distributors, Caroline and Rots and Dutch East, like these places that like, you know, two of those don't even exist anymore. But, you know, I had sent them a uh, holy name and they, they, well, what had happened was, and this is what, this is why they, this will wrap it around the quest for certainty is the distributors only paid you when they wanted something else from you. So like other than that, they, they stiff you. And so I, I, um, the guys that were in shelter were equal vision that, you know, um, they were like making calls and sending out stuff, not, you know, usually not rugging out them for sale, but call, you know, calling stores, uh, Christian Shaitanya and, and the Kendra. And we had sent records. They sent seven inches to these places and that places never paid. And so it went out of print. And then what I did was once I got, holy name going i called these places up and said i have this record and because they wanted it then they paid me everything for the the seven inches that they had taken but in the meantime rugganoff had had uh done a deal unbeknownst to me with the guy from venus records the milo um and, and that, that was what i was going to ask about yeah. because i had never heard of that label but it's i have the, this is the, i don't know that? what else they I don't know what else they did besides that. I'm sure they did stuff. I mean, he just had a record that sold really well. There's the seven inches that sold really well that went on a print. And he said, let's do this and let's do it on CD. And at that time, still CD was like, whoa, we're going to have something on CD. <laughs> uh, well, I actually has- have some, I have some shinfo. I got a text about DeMilo records. It was a guy named Bill Shore. Sure, that's what Bell that ring a bell. Yep. And uh, some of the other records he did was Upfront, uh, oh. Gang Gang War featuring Johnny Thunders and Wayne Kramer. Okay. And then a tribute to Brian Wilson, SFA, and uh, BJ yeah, Snowden, SFA. and that was it. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he did that. I didn't know he did Upfront either. That's cool. Uh huh. The Spirit LP. Demilo Records, and we actually had a kirtan at that record store during the Shelter 108, the Shelter 108 tour. We like went to we went to that record store right yeah. in Connecticut, and know, then, it's, in, it's right. I was right in St. Mark's because um, I wanted to ask about attaining the supreme at least, sure, because it's you know it's not on Revelation. It's my personal favorite Shelter. It's the first one I heard, really, um, but it's. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I was gonna say I feel like a lot of people have like it's a pretty polarizing record because it's so different. What did you think when you first heard it? Because it's there's they don't they didn't have anything before or since that I was mean, really like that one. When you're in like kind of the the making of it, you hear them like you know practicing the songs and working them out. And uh, then you're in the studio and stuff like that. You kind of lose your perspective on it because you're you're already like attached to the song, so you can't you can't separate your your attachment and your your you know judgment kind of thing on it. Um, I mean, obviously, it came out. We thought it was great. I thought those songs were great live. Um, he, we, you know, why would we have a contract? were like inseparable in the temple living together. So we never had a, 
I, I never had a, 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 I mean, I have a one page contract where I, I bought equal vision, you know, like that, that was, I, I just typed that up. I don't, don't know why, but I never had one with shelter. And then they took it back and they came and gave it, kind of gave it back. Um, and then when we, when we repressed it, I played it and I was like, I like the songs. I can remember the songs live, but the record just didn't stand the test of time for me. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't play. It's not in my regular rotation. You know, 108 songs of separation, you know, is like from early equal vision stuff, like crown of thorns, like stood the taste test of time. Like, you know, just like stuff that I, I, I still will, 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 you know, go work on the loading dock and, and, and put on Spotify and play those records. So. What, I mean, what was what was the first non Krishna record that Equal Vision released? Oh. It was that difficult decision to make. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was a decision I never wanted to make, but it wasn't difficult because uh, um, we did the tour, Shelter One Hundred Eight tour, and uh, when we got back, um, we went to Philadelphia. My wife went to the Brooklyn Temple. Um, we were married because that was one of the things we had to get married. Um, uh, we had to have one because we had boys and girls on the tour. It wouldn't have been proper unless we had one married couple. So, uh, I, uh, I, I you know, I, I, I bit the bullet and was a dutiful devotee and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it worked out. Okay. Uh, you know, so, uh, um, but, um, but we, so when we got back, we, I mean, that tour was like, incredible like it was on you know like the 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 ups and downs with the overall thing i mean we went i don't know you guys are, are young but like we no one saw that tour did they oh no, you did right 93 was it the yeah the better way tour i saw i that, did um uh in full i'm too California. young to have seen it mm-hmm. but so um they're old like, we had shelter in 108 um we had a bus of a women's party, which was my, my wife and then Raghunath's girl at the time, Sri Keshava of, of Baby Gopal fame. Um, uh, her, her uh, uh, this girl, Robin, what was that? Chris Sarsini, right? Yeah, and Nancy. And, and Nancy and then one, uh, one Ravindus Roop disciple from England, Sachi Mata. And so we, uh, and then we had a, a school bus with this devotee Jai drove a school bus. And on there we had like 10 dudes that kind of just wanted to come on tour. They were kind of into Christian consciousness and wanted to come on tour. So when we would roll in to a place, we're rolling in like 30 or 40 strong. And so it was a lot to, to maintain, but it was great. But when we got back and, and it was like, you know, we'd have Kirtan everywhere we went. We'd pass out Prasadam everywhere we went. We'd stay at temples. They're like, it was great. When we got back and I got to Philadelphia Temple and like Lenny and all these dudes just moved back to their parents' house, I kind of felt bad. Um, so then it, was, it wasn't easy to, to, to be married and to live in Philadelphia and and Kate live in New York, and I didn't, didn't have a car or anything like that. So it was like, 
let's let's get someplace together in New York and like make this like kind of a move equal vision and we'll have uh, um, this halfway house kind of thing that like you're not ready to move into the temple, but you can come and, and stay here. And so then that's what we that's what we did. Oh, Save a Priya too was on that tour. So I signed this lease for this 3,000 square foot loft. Like I had like a I had like a little kitchen area and a couple of bathrooms. But other than that, I had no walls or anything. And uh, my idea was just to hang blankets between the walls, but no one else was having that. So we had to hire uh, somebody to come in and put some walls up for some bedrooms and things like that. And then I had like a a big area where you know Equal Vision would work, and then the area where like our kitchen and living room and kind of stuff like that was. Uh, I'm guessing we're there a month and, uh, Raghunath, actually, actually he didn't come over. Uh, no, he did. He came over and said, we just signed with Roadrunner. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, we, I got a bunch of money. We signed a, uh, like a, a, a four record deal with Roadrunner. I'm like, like deicide, <laughs> you know, like that's what you're doing. And, uh, and he was like, Oh no, I think Mike Gitter was there. It's going to be really cool and stuff like that. And they want to talk to you. And, uh, I was like, what do you want to talk to me about? But like, I lost shelter. And so I was like, Oh, this isn't gonna, I'm not gonna have much of a label like Prima. 108, <laughs> you know, for, like, like how, what can they do? And so, uh, um, uh, Norm lived with us and I think he told me about this band, uh, shift and they were playing at bond street and I went down there and saw them and they kind of had a deal already on the table with Doghouse, But like, um, I was able to like become pretty good friends with Josh and I, I, I bonded with Samantha, the drummer, um, because she's like a basketball player. And so uh, they ended up taking the leap with me. And that was the first like non-Krishna thing. And, you know, so it was uh, a big jump for them. For me, it was just like, uh, you know, we're going to do this or not. Because my plan before that was because we took a lot of flack. There was a lot of you know, anti-Krishna sentiment, especially from the tour, because just the way we, we 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 rolled and it wasn't like, you know, we lost our booking agent over that tour because, you know, we'd have a 50 person guest list. But I was like, that was all was all halls. It wasn't like someone was selling out or something like that. Like people got turned away because of us. And these weren't kids that were like getting in for free on a show they would usually go to. It was nothing like that. And then we're feeding people and having, you know, whatever it was. It was just too much for a lot of people to take. But I was like, I was like, screw them. Uh, let's just do this like discord. Like it's our rules and it's our thing. And we don't, you know, we're not going to play the way you want us to play. We're going to do our own thing. And then all of a sudden shelter left and uh, it was, uh, you know, ouch, <laughs> I got to rethink this. So... But. It, it ended up being a a good decision. I mean, first off, I love Shift. Um, those records are still great. I still listen to them. Mm. Um, and then it opened up, I think, the doors for a lot of other things for Equal Vision. Like, 
I was thinking how, you know, Equal Vision, not to get too off topic, you guys were sort of ahead of the curve, I think, on some things like, you know, Converge, um, even the the Youth Crew Revival stuff, like Equal Vision was the ones that had 10-yard fight, floor punch, hands tied before Rev, you know, before Rev kind of even, you know, in my eyes, like Equal Vision had all those bands put out records before you know, whatever. So it ended up being, I think, a nice choice. There's a lot of great records that came after that shift. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. I, I mean, I, you know, um, now, now if you're a Krishna band, I don't find out that you exist until you do a deal with one of my friends, record labels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how my, how times have changed. So, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it, whatever it did, it, it did work out. I mean, it was just, like, luckily, you know, the saving grace was that, um, you know, while we lived in that loft in New York, I got a t-shirt press. And then that summer I got it, must've got it in February. I think we moved in in January and in February or March I got it. And I went and took a, a, class of the school of visual arts of how to soak screen because i had no idea how to soak screen and i went to two classes and then i never went back again but i used the lab for the next two years um i would make my screens there whenever i i could but then that that summer um was the first warp tour and so i printed for sick of it all Civ, orange nine millimeter like all those bands that were on that so i just basically like you know was either going down to the garment district and picking up shirts in the subway on a hand truck five or six boxes at a time and pulling them back to my apartment and then printing or just you know just like delivering shirts whatever whatever it was but that was a good amount like you know like it was sick of it all was big and they paid always on time. And, uh, um, and it would it really help financially get through. And then actually my wife was working at down to earth and like her, the money she, not down to earth, she worked at integral yoga, like her money bloated us, you know, cause we had, we had no, no money. <laughs> and then, I mean, is everybody a Hare Krishna here? No, uh, Jason, I'm not. Jason is yeah. not. He's a car me. Um, but I love shirts. I would also do the pick, <laughs> which would help us get some money. Like I'm uh, doing, doing the pick probably paid for the shift record at Don Fieri's. And the pick is you go out and sell stickers to uh, at places. It was a like Hare Krishna thing. and The uh, Juggernaut sticker or Smile? Uh, usually <laughs> I sold American flag stickers. At race cars, at race, race, you know, NASCAR races. Okay. Go up to you and say, <laughs> I'd say, uh, uh, caught you. You're guilty. And they say, what? And I mean, you know, I just, my, myself, you know, um, uh, I have a little ID badge. I'd say you're, uh, guilty of love in America. Now uh, I have to run you in for this. I have to run you in for this, but um, I think you want to see the race today, so I'm just let you off with a small donation. And then they would give me some money. I would try to get some money to the the 
temple or, or to, you know, food for life. And then the rest I would just use to live on. But I mean, I, I mean, I didn't do it much, but like we didn't, you know, we'd have it because the, the people, once I put out the shelter record, all those people never paid me. Yeah. I'm rot. So that was like a, a, a lot of money. Like I was owed. And until we got shipped, um, they, I didn't get any money. So it was like, probably for money coming into the record label for label sales. There'd be a few stores that would do COD with us, but uh, it probably like eight or nine months where we didn't get any money. So. I thought shift was pretty, it was well advertised for. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It seemed like a step up in, in promotion and advertisement. For that shift record, at least it was really visible from what I remember. Was yeah, that? Yeah, I, I didn't want to advertise. Okay. Shelter in 108. We, I, I mean, we we wanted to only do Krishna Core magazines. Mm-hmm. Was our thing. I remember it was like, you know, a, a little bit of a debate. Should we put one in Maximum Rock and Roll because the Maximum Rock and Roll Capo article had already been out? Should we just like rub their faces in it and put an ad in here, or should we just like not? do it <laughs> and i think we just we, we didn't do it i don't know if tim would have put it in there or not but like i i, I think i kind of wanted it and everybody else d- didn't want it but we, we ended up doing it so and then shift ended up uh signing to columbia right for yes for the second lp third their third record but you guys yeah. my cop you have you guys still did the vinyl for that uh which was cool. We did. Wasn't a good record, I don't think. I mean, they, I went, you know, like they were blowing up. They were doing really well. And, um, and I was psyched. And then, like, you know, I had a contract that gave me like a $30,000 buyout. And Columbia came and wanted to give me the $30,000. And I was like, that's it. Um, set for life. I can retire. I have $30,000 more money than I ever had at, at any time. Um, but I went to like a, a meeting with them and, you know, around a big table at Columbia and I had to like show my ID to get in. It was like my first like major label meeting thing. And they, um, and I just remember hearing their marketing plan and thinking this is the worst thing I've ever heard. And so I kind of stood up and said that. And then uh, I wasn't really invited back for a long time until I <laughs> came to Cambria, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, um, I know that when they put that record out, like the CD, because that was how I got it, it was the CD originally. And it was like in the dollar bin within three months of it coming out or whatever. Mm. So it didn't it didn't do, I think what they wanted it to do. <laughs> I said, I remember like, I, I thought shit, you know, it was, it was like post hardcore, but I still thought that shift was on the, the kind of not, obviously not quicksand, but they're on like the front edge of this post hardcore thing. And they were kind of like, like, let's pull them off the road. Let's not put anything out about them. Let's not let anyone hear it. And then also we'll come out when the record is in the can and we'll just like blow everybody out and everybody will be saying like, where's shift? What's happening with shift? And I'm like, 
no one is going to be saying that. And these bands are, you know, are being born like 10 a day. Like if we go away for a year, like people are going to forget. And I think that's what happened. <laughs> I still love, I still love Josh. I still talk to Sam and Brandon. I mean, I, I, they're, they're great. So, Space suits the one for me. Anyway. Yeah, that was good. I had made that like it was, it was good. It was all New York City. They were at the loft all the time. It was uh, it was fun. And then when then then when Sam left, I had to find a drummer, and I got the guy from Undertow to uh, to fly out here to play drums, and. Um, and then he got his guitar player, Mark, to join the band. And so that was the band for a while. But then Ryan ended up, you know, temporarily becoming my, my brother-in-law. We married Kate's sister. So. And, then, and he drummed for 10-yard fight for a minute, too, right? He did, too. Yeah. He, like, he came out here and lived at the loft for a, a, a while and then uh, played in shift. And then Sam came back. And then he went to Boston. Yes. Because I think Ben Chuse had like was a an house arrest or something, <laughs> yes. right? I remember. I think so. Yeah. No. So I guess we, we wanted to, and I knew uh, I, there were so many questions I had about Equal Vision. Uh, so we, and we got to get through some of them, but we did want to talk just a little. I know you meant we talked a bit about Quest. And then, of course, you know, in 1998, it gets reissued, but it's on revelation. Was that like, did you like, so, how did that work? Um, like, was it... I like, like the, the DeMilo deal was done before my, before I was there. So when we, when I got there and we went out that spring and then that summer and started to play, um, well, in the spring we had a, a bunch of CDs I don't remember having it on, on vinyl on tour. Um, I don't remember. We had it on, on CD and, and we we're taking out and, and selling it. And then we picked up, I remember going to New York before the tour started and picking up a bunch of CDs that I'm, I'm guessing, I want to say a thousand, but a thousand seems like too much. So maybe like 500. And so we went on that tour and played. And when we got back and it was time to settle up, like they hadn't sent me a bill. And so like I reached out to them and said, Hey, can you send the bill? And that by that time I had a fax machine and they faxed over a bill and the bill was like for 5,000 bucks. And I'm like, what is this? Cause like, you know, I was selling shelter CDs for five fifty to wholesale and one Oh eight for four fifty. And it was CDs then were probably cost like a dollar, probably on two dollars to make or something like that. Um, and so uh, uh, the guy sent me the copy of the deal and the deal that Ruganoff signed, we agreed to purchase CDs from them for ten dollars. And unfortunately, on tour, we sold them for ten dollars and gave away a bunch. So uh that was quite a shock. And that was like my, the, 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 the most meaningful experience I had with, you know, quest of cer for certainty. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it must've had a term on it and it lapsed. And that at, around that same time, 
like, you know, Raghunath just came and said, um, I want, I want all my, all my music back. And then, so he, he took it all and he worked out some deal. Cause he didn't, I mean, I'm sure there wasn't a youth of today deal either with revelation. I'm sure at that time, like they just didn't make a, a deal. So like he took that, um, and, and the, you know, perfection of desire was at, at revelation and just like made a deal for Jordan with all of them. And I think Jordan said he didn't want to do a deal for attain the Supreme. He thought it should stay here. Mm. So he didn't do it, but Raghunath was, he was going to take it somewhere else. And he just kind of never did. And then when we got kind of, he moved back out here from the West coast, we said like, okay, you know, I think my, the guy that runs my label, Dan, he said, will you ask him if he wants to do this again? And, you know, he said, yeah. So we started to do it again. I don't know if we made a deal then or not, <laughs> but I, I know I pay him. So I think he's happy with that. No. And um, they changed the photo for the so different. Like, so we were saying before you all got on that, you know, originally when it was reissued, so this is the rev version, right? Here's the, here's the original. um, It was only on CD because it was the late nineties and it was red. The the graphics were red and not blue. And then when they repressed it, I guess uh, about five years ago, they put it back to blue, but kept the uh, different cover. I mean, uh, I'm guessing the original artwork that they sent couldn't be found. Yeah. Mm. Instead of the work express. Make or the duplicate yeah. from a, a, yeah. a printed, you know, a printed image. They just said, let's go with a new photograph. Mm-hmm. I realize that happens way more than I, you know, I n- never thought about it. But then hearing a lot of labels, like I heard, you know, Discord, when they'll do reissues, sometimes they'll have to change the color scheme or even change, like, and it's because they don't have the art for them anymore right yeah i mean it's 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 hard to keep track of something for 20 plus years mm-hmm. that you don't touch you know yeah like we, we never touched it. i mean we never thought that like one i never thought that the label would last this long um and so the, the fact that we had to go back and, and find it i mean we you know we couldn't find the original stuff for 108 i i think i the 108 stuff i think i never had I think Vic sent me like the the whatever it is that you, when you no computers, so it's just like whatever it is that you got shot by a big camera, like mm-hmm. just like the, the the actual physical layout of it. But I don't think I guess when I left Disc Makers, I never went and got my art back from them because I didn't think I would I didn't think I would need it. So, but uh, I don't know if that's where that went. But we couldn't find it. We had to recreate, you know. Rob had to go look through photos and uh and use Greg's uh layout. Oh yeah, it was my it was my uh, songs of separation record. Oh really? Awesome. Was it really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gave it to you all at um uh Yasapuja for oh, really? Prabhu. Yeah. Wow. It's awesome. Yeah, That's so, sick. Um and yeah, because it's the cause the reissue is the black and gold instead of the the white and black. Mm-hmm. But um Kick it, Jason. Yeah, I was just going to ask Steve. Uh, we put up a Instagram poll on what cover you prefer: the re-release cover from Rev or the original Equal Vision cover for Quest for Certainty. Do you have a preference? Oh, <laughs> um, if you held them both up today, I don't think I could pick which one was which. Uh, even though I just <laughs> did it just five minutes ago. Um, 
One is the, the uh, Indian drug one, rug. I, I mean, I remember that photo in the office. The the hand on the head one, like ah, uh, I like the other the other one better probably. Uh-huh. I haven't seen it inside. I, yeah. I, I thought I mean this was the first one that I saw because uh there was the reissue, but I liked just you know Ray singing and the grabbing onto the t-shirt, and there is still the little yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. not to equal vision I mean, with I, the t-shirt. I, I can remember that photo coming coming across, but but yeah, I mean I don't like you know. Yeah, how much involvement did you have with the original Quest for Certainty at all? None. Yeah, it was all Zero. pre before it got handed. I, mean, I over never, to I you. never heard the seven inches. I never like I, I when I went, must say, I went to a shelter show, and I went in when they played, and I was standing behind one of the cabinets, and like I think he was singing Sharonogrity, and uh, he held the microphone over to me, and I'm like, I never heard this music. <laughs> <laughs> he's like it, it's Sharon Ogerty. and I'm like what <laughs> he's trying to whisper in my ear what to sing along and I was like I, I didn't I didn't know you know so <laughs> it looks like for the reissue that friend of the pod uh, Tom B uh, d- coordinated and did the art direction and then the, the Jericks did uh-huh. the layout and then for and the photos were it looks like Chris Tolliver for the Rev one. And then I know Could be. the Equal yeah. Vision is someone else. I think it says here. Uh, it looks like the Equal Vision were Steve Silvers, which I, I haven't seen that name. So um, fun fun fact about Chris Tolliver. That's the same person that took the cover photo for the Four Walls Falling Culture Shock layout. Uh, oh, he nice. also did, I believe, the insert photos for earth crisis destroy the machines he's a, he was a big photographer he was in new york he was part of our crew like uh-huh. he'd come around and stuff like that he was like a dc youth crew kind of kid you know and that thing with like the um all friends with those good clean fight guys isa and all those dudes um so i mean we've known him forever and he was good so mark beamer him like good, good DC photographer dudes, Tim Owen. Uh, yeah, yeah, Tim's taking a lot of awesome photos. At the time, did you have any thoughts about the the bonus content on the Quest for Certainty CD with the the Kirtans and the um, the sermon, the Hari Krishna sermon that's on there? So. Um, uh, do you know the band One King Down? Yeah, yeah. So Friday afternoon, I did a, a cram session with Bill from One King Down because he works here on uh, what's on Quest for Certainty. And he said, he said, don't worry because I heard the War Zone one, and one of the guys had just listened to the record for the first time like the night before, and so I was like, okay, I'm in the clear because. Uh, I only heard the bonus content last night when my wife and I were doing a jigsaw puzzle and we play, played Quest for Certainty. Nice. Uh, the lecture I know uh-huh. because when I moved to Gita Nagri, um, they, uh, I don't know how you know Pennsylvania, but but State College is where Penn State is, is close by, like a, a little less than an hour away. So on Sundays, if I wasn't busy with farm stuff, we had a Sunday program at State College, and they would bring me. 
And this was a guy named Steve ran it, but it was started by this devotee named Stamba. And Steve was like a, a kind of disciple of Stamba's, but now it's kind of like fading a little bit. Stamba was like probably early, mid-80s kind of guy. There was A lot of devotees came from that state college preaching center. And he gave me these like, you know, like those things that hold cassettes, like three of those things of, of Stamba lectures from for cassettes. And I had them in my room at Gita Nagri, and I play them all the time because this dude was like hardcore hitting. And then when Ruganath moved there, we play him, and then he got he got into it. Like they actually went to, you know, Stamba moved to Florida. They, they went and like searched him out on one shelter tour before I was involved and like hung out with him because like we liked him so much. So like, you know, I, I mean, I knew all the Stamba lectures. So I knew this one that, that got played on the quest for certainty one and uh, I heard it again last night. It's funny to think back, you know, 30 years ago or something like that. But uh, I mean, I like it. <laughs> I like the hard, hard, heavy, uh, heavy kind of uh, preaching. I, I, don't, I don't know if he maintained that kind of enthusiasm or if it's even possible to maintain that kind of enthusiasm. But like, I like hearing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even as a, a, a youngster, when I first heard that, I thought it was, I had no clue what he was talking about, <laughs> but I appreciated that it was on there. It was like, it was such an, a nice compendium to the music. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, here's some hardcore punk music. It was like, now here's the philosophy part that we mm -hmm. are into and it's presented, you know, take it or leave it. Um, so I, I always thought that that was cool. And I'm sure there's only so many times you could listen to that track. You know, I'm, if you're if you have it in your car or whatever, and you're right. bumping free will or whatever, you're not going to always bump the, the sermon at the end. <laughs> Um, what about the, the Kirtans on there? Do you I have for the first time last night? Kaylee, <laughs> do you have any, uh, thoughts about that? You're I like it. I, I love the, the, the first one's like a real India chant. Um, mm -hmm. the second one, what was that one? I think, I think I heard that one. Like, you know, I mean, there's so many tapes that kind of circulate around, you know, in, in the kind of late eighties, Thing. So you hear some some good ones get copied and and, and passed on. So I think I had heard that, but I mean I thought it was good. I don't know what the first chant is. I was gonna try to do some homework. I was gonna reach out to a Kendra uh, the, and and see if he knew what it was because I'm I'm pretty sure Raghunath is still in India. Maybe uh, Greg, you could reach out to a Kendra and we could put that in the uh, the bonus. I actually I actually could. wanted to reach out to him and see if he would talk about you know, his days in shelter, just because, um, <laughs> those traumatic from, days in shelter, well, for, you know, to come at it from a totally different perspective of someone who wasn't like a hardcore kid getting into it, uh -huh. you know, did you ever um, get, um, do you know what a one, like a one sheet is? Yeah. Uh -huh. One sheet is like what you write up about a record when it's come out. It's got this, the picture of the album, uh, you know, how much the, the wholesale price and the retail price are on the tracks sure. and some, some little kind of blurb. But I did that for uh, Attain the Supreme, and I wrote uh, um, two hardcore legends and two guys from a Kansas cover band, and uh, they were not psyched on that description. <laughs> <laughs> 
I actually he he gifted me the Kendra, um, the original written notes. Like you know, the in, in defense of reality has the writings from Gurudev from uh, oh, wow. Rupabu. He sent me the original like notes that he had written to be used, um, which was pretty cool. Nice, That's awesome. I think Kendra's contribution was also. Um, the carrot cake from God recipe and the equal <laughs> magazine. Do you guys know about that. that? I have that. I have, it sucks. I have copies of all this stuff, but it's in That's storage. Awesome. Someone had, someone had, I'll, well, I have a scanner now. So once I get them out of storage, which might not be for a while, I'll scan them and send them to y'all. No, it was I great. They were great. Catalogs and, I mean, that was a being out with them, living in the Philadelphia temple with them. That was a, a great great part of my life um it was uh, he, he told me drum wise that he was really inspired by um bill berry from rem so oh, i wow. was of course like that on on attaining the supreme maybe that's why i like that one so much too i don't know but um because i had some of the janglier stuff like it was way different um but there was something else I wanted to ask about Quest before we tied it up in a bow. I mean, for for the re-releasing the two seven inches, I mean, what are we talking about? Like 12 to 14 minutes of music at, at the most. So we had to throw something else on there to, to get an album out of it. No. So Quest, this, the title track was was new. There, there, so it was because... Uh, well, that wasn't on the seven inches? No, so in defense of reality, and was had the news on the B side, and then you know free will and Sharanagati, and then it looks like the two live tracks were new, and the uh, quest song quest for certainty, and the Sabbath cover. Did it say where the live tracks are from? I think from Unisound. I, they recorded I, I, at Unisound. I, say, I thought I had heard that. Uh, yep, Unisound. By Jake. That was the guy who owned it. He was great. He was great. The beautiful club has had a half pipe in it. He was super cool. Uh, he paid the bands well, and the door price was was low. Like it was a, a labor of love for him, and uh, he had to do it in a place that wasn't easy to do shows. I mean, Reading, uh, part of Philadelphia, uh, part of Pennsylvania, yeah. has rough, uh, rough crowds. Oh, yeah. First time I ever played a show with 108 was actually at the Unis Sound. It was the first, really? the first, yeah, the first, um, the first date of the Shelter 108 tour was at the Unis Sound, and I remember being like so nervous, so just like so nervous to to do it. And then I think we played all the songs like really fast, and I was like. And I remember afterwards, Regnaud said, you looked really cool on stage. And I was like, psyched. Because <laughs> it was probably the only time he ever watched 108. I, I, I don't think he, I don't ever remember those guys watching, but that was part of, and then I also remember one other thing, which was funny, which was that this guy, Henry, was was going to travel around with us and take videos of the of the tour. And he had a cell phone. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a cell phone or new, and I was like, "Oh my god, this guy made a phone call from the parking lot. It's crazy! Like, he had a cellular phone, and it was like something only like if you were really wealthy or something, you would have a cell phone." But 
the Unison was like a, it was kind of a, a home for shelter in 108. I think we played there one other time too, but that, that was the very first time that I ever played in 108. 108 had played before. And then, yeah, in the beginning, it's, it was the start of our tour of that, that sort of summer tour where we played like 60 shows or something. Yeah. The, if you look at the itinerary, it's, it's insane. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> May 15th, 1993 at the Unisound. And then the last show was all the way until September 5th. That's crazy. So May to September. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So do you know about 108's first show? Oh. So 108 played at the Unisound. Um, Rob didn't sing. It was um, Vic... Uh, Tony, Norm. Like Kendra. No. Did he play? Did Kendra play drums? Yeah, he played on, he played for that one. There's a picture of it. Right, right. Because the guy from Worlds Collide played drums on the Holy Name record, I think. But, um, but like Vic wanted some massive theatrical, like output that was going to be received, like, and some level of you know some unbelievable level and it didn't really work out that way i think there were some like technical difficulties they had like a big screen behind them and then he was long-winded between songs and people kind of you know uh couldn't pay attention and and started talking and then he would yell at them from the stage it, it didn't go over <laughs> well and then he went um he, he left he went to india and he was there for quite a while and then i went to europe with shelter and then we went from there to india and then my wife met us right you you flew from the states and medicine in india and uh, um and Vic had lived there for like, I'm guessing almost a year. How long did I don't think it was that long, but he was, he was going to stop. He was going to stop doing hardcore music and just be a brahmachari. And And so then he pulled Raghunath and I in a, in a room and he said, um, I want to come back and I want to do 108 again, but I, I can't, I can't do any of this stuff. Can you, put this together for me. And, uh, and I, then I had an idea in mind and I said, uh, my wife's going to play guitar and I'll get Rob. And they said, you won't get Rob. And I'm like, I think I'll get Rob. And then I, cause I wanted resurrection. Like this is like, I, I was a fan of like early resurrection. And I said, I have the drummer too. And then like, I was like, I got, I have the right drummer. And, and that was Chris Daly. And, even the guys in resurrection said, you'll never get him to do this because the dude wasn't a Krishna. So he's going on this full, like Rob had some interest, you know, Rob was into the philosophy. Like Rob was into it, but Chris Daly was like cold. Um, and, uh, and whatever I, I, I talked him into it and he was, he was great. I think it made a huge difference that he was, could, could play drums for them. And then we were able to go out and then because we had, uh, females with us it, it stopped being criticized as just a boys club um and uh it made a big difference in everything and it was you know worked pretty well so 
There's footage no, on YouTube. Can I say me from blooping? Because <laughs> it was on YouTube. On the YouTube. First show? Uh, not of the first show, but of that tour. I forget. I don't know if I think it is Henry that took the yeah. footage. And I, oh, I mean, do you guys have the Sankirtan Yagi video? Yeah, I have the VHS. VHS. Yeah. yeah, he made that whole thing. Like he came, came with us, filmed it all. He, you know, he's great. Yeah, it was like an amazing time, and it was fun. We had like our we had our whole girl gang, and it was actually truly amazing and it was interesting too because we were basically like a bunch of teenagers i mean i think i was like i think i was 21 so i wasn't exactly a teenager but basically a teenager and we were like we were like okay well we have to be serious so we would like ride in the van and then we would like read bhagavad gita and like try to give each other class and and then we would like go to the we'd stay at the temples and we'd be you know we'd go to the whole morning program and be full saris i don't even know how we like in retrospect i'm like how do we keep keep our laundry done and stuff because we have those giant (laughs) saris you know and then change into vans and shorts and then play and then we'd go and sleep at a temple and like when we we went there was no (laughs) there was no uh allowance for sleeping past Mangalarti, but we would get in at like two and they'd be like it's 3 40 time to wake up and but we were like fired up so we would we would kind of do the whole thing and it was you know the temples were nice because they would they would feed us and things like that are that are hard when you're on tour plus there was no those were the days where the you know stormy i think booked our our tour but there was no like you didn't get like an itinerary with like a hotel where you stayed. It was like you were in the city and like you just stayed at a hotel ever in that tour. We didn't. Raghunath did with Henry, but the rest of us were like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure I slept in the van most of the time. I remember the one house we walked in and the fleas jumped all over my legs and I just started to cry because I was like, we're sleeping with the fleas. And then I remember when we got to Berkeley of course, the women got put, we got put in the freaking kitchen. That's where we oh, slept, what? which was a tile floor. There was no women's ashram or? I think there was no women's ashram or like, I don't know. I always, when I went with, when I was alone with 108, it would be like, it would be terrible. They put me like, they were, they were like, after like the night I spent it with a lady that, Amara, our tour manager, was like, yeah, the lady that you stayed with, she's been kicked out of every temple in Europe, and they put me in her room because <laughs> she was like, uh, something was... I remember because um, I replaced the the, the uh, water pump on the van in the Berkeley parking lot. So, like, I had like, yeah. a tarp with the whole front end of the van taken apart while I did the water pump, Jamuna and I. Oh. And I slept like a baby on that tile floor because by then we were like, you know, so many months into touring. I was like, oh, wow. now I, I, now I have him. to have like a perfect bed. But I was like, the tile floor is perfect. There's a boy that works here now. Uh, he does actually he does a, a record label, Immigrant Son. I don't know if you if you've ever heard of it. Yeah, um, Sean, but I've known him the longest. His uh, his older sister was like my high school girlfriend, so I knew him from when he was like, you know. Um, a kid in seventh grade or something like that. And then I kind of kept contact with her and kept contact with him. And when I went back, when I was in college, probably like 1984 or five. And I said, uh, you know, Hey, what are you, what are you into? He said, Oh, I like you too. I like a bunch of stuff. I was like, 
you know, you ever heard of hardcore? And I said, I made him some tapes. I sent him some bad brains and whatever else I had. And he like became a hardcore kid. It's his farm that I worked on sometimes when I was, when I was growing up in high school. And so he wanted to come visit the farm and he was a little into Krishna consciousness. And so I was like, Oh wow, this, you know, this guy's going to join up. And so he stayed with me one weekend. And when he got to the, you know, night and we were going to sleep he's like you know it's a, a linoleum floor in a sleeping bag and he's like you don't have a pillow i'm like yeah i just kind of like fold my sweatshirt up and th- and that's it like that was it like the fact that like <laughs> i slept for and i didn't have a pillow like it was just like too much for him to kind of comprehend and i was just like i'm out of here <laughs> yeah we did a lot of like it was that like it, it quest for certainty was like the the songs from quest for certainty were like sort of the heart of that tour they were you know the other songs were coming but they were the ones that were like were established. The in defense of reality and sharanagadi those were like those were the hits of that tour and like somehow we were able to just be like psyched to do that, to sell equal passing <laughs> and to sleep on the floor. Cause we were just like so fired up to be like, I think we really felt like we were, you know, missionaries. We were doing something that in our minds, you know, punk rock is always about counterculture and changing the world. And we thought we'd found the ultimate key of what that was going to look like. And so, you know, I remember like, it's actually where I learned the concept of Sharanagati, of the concept of surrendering to the to the teaching, surrendering to the guru was from that song. And and I I think also I think also like in defense of reality was like even just the title for me was like it was like we were we were sort of changing our minds about what all of society was gonna do and it was you know this was this was the reality the rest of it was maya and i think a lot of my sort of early krishna conscious teachings really came from raganath's lyrics from that record and then honestly i was Raj kishore also like his lyrics were and you know and like holy name and stuff were I, I think for me, a lot of those were more important than, than reading Bhagavad Gita or Bhagavatam, which was just so far above my head. And, and I think that that was like sort of part of the magic of that tour was that kids were connecting to, to the teachings through the lyrics of these albums, these early albums. And then, and we felt like it was so important that we were like, this tile floor is perfect for me. I don't need a pillow. <laughs> well, we, I wish I still had it. Now I'm like, now I need like, I'm like the princess on the pee. I'm like, can you come in here? I think there's a pee under this pillow. <laughs> I need six we, pillows just to sleep. But there was some, some sort of absolute magic of that, that day, the days of that time where you were just like, so just had so much belief in the philosophy. I mean, that, that hasn't changed and it's definitely deepened. But I was I was thinking when we were listening to the, the album again last night while we were being middle aged uh, people and doing a puzzle <laughs> together that a lot of the Krishna conscious philosophy I think for a lot of us came from like that Stamba class and from the lyrics of that record. I didn't really make a separation in my mind between 
like quest for certainty. And then later, I I mean, I remember being really psyched for attaining the Supreme. I was like, this album is so beautiful. And I would listen to it while I was walking around on my Walkman on a cassette and walking around to go to college and stuff. But I remember feeling like those lyrics were speaking the truth and it was really meaningful to me. Like I thought the crow, I heard the crow mags. I thought it was really deep. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I, I get it. They're Harry Christian. I was like, how do they know this stuff? I'm like, they're Harry Christians. I was like, uh, so my impression of Harry Christian was like really heavy, hardcore tattooed dudes that beat the shit out of everybody. And I was like, sign me up. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, you kind of wanted the beads. You were like, you wanted to I be wanted like the beads more. You wanted to be like John Joseph. You know, yeah, they were like, all t- they were like tight, like real tight, the tight beads, and just. Well, and then I read that Prabhupada said you should wear three strands of Tulsi beads tight around your neck like the collar of a dog. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> it was just like, you know, everything about it. It seemed like um, it seemed like you reached a level of counterculture and then you were like unlocking another level of counterculture. So like for, you know, if you were like punk rock and you were like, after you like mastered everything that was like you know social signaling of punk rock the krishnas were like that was like next level a funny a funny story is that the first time i went to india i i raghunath and sachi were already there and i think Prasal and they were staying at the gurukula and i was going with some girls from the temple this girl malini and this other woman whose name i think her name was lalita she was a disciple of tamal krishna goswami she was coming. The three of us were going to fly together. We were going to, at those days, the Delhi airport was just like uh, literally a pole barn. There was no walk. It was like, and the man would like take your like immigration paper and just throw it under the table. And there was like a two seater toilet, but not a seater, just like two holes in the ground. And then you would go out and hail a taxi and like hope they took you. You would just be like Ishkan Mandir, Ishkan Mandir. And they were Krishna Balaram Mandir. And then, you just hope like this random taxi driver from Delhi would drive you for four hours. And it was the first time I wore a bindi dot. That was like my big breakout moment. And it was like this big, that was blue. And I remember I was like, okay, that's it. I'm going to put the bindi on. And I put the bindi on. I was going to Vrindavan. We traveled in full saris, which is like a nightmare, but we were like, Kai Krishna's. We'd done the shelter when I went tour. We were going to India. We're going to like, you know, go to Vrindavan, the lotus feet of Krishna had touched the dust. And I get to the airport and I'm in JFK and sick of it all. <laughs> it's like at the gate next to our gate. And to their credit, they were just like so cool. Like I was like, oh God, I'm so culted out. I remember walking like not on Avenue A, but on Avenue B because everybody would go to Benny's Burritos and I didn't want to see like Toby and I was like in a sari and, you know, because people kind of made fun of you and who was there, but everybody from sick of it all. And they were going, they were going to Europe and we were flying through Europe to India because there were no direct flights yet. And it was like a moment, it was like a, a moment of being where it was like, are you going to stick with this or is this just too crazy, you know, but apparently we stuck with it and they all know so much about Krishna like ask any of them they can they can spout Bhagavatam like you wouldn't believe all this 
especially Craig. He knows he knows so much. It's insane. Like everybody from hardcore from that era really knows a lot. And I think it's from Shelter. It's it's from Shelter. He was in and a band with John Joseph. Yeah. Did you hear that? Craig played with John Joseph. So John Joseph is telling him all the Krishna stuff also. So. Yeah, those were the. That's how it used to be. You had to, and the, it was it was your it was uh, Gaur Shakti. It was your guru that that got it. He was the one yeah, that he, they wanted to. They wanted us to stop. They thought a lot. Everybody else, other than other than Ravindra Swarup, thought what we were doing was was like crazy. And he was like, "No, no, they're doing something amazing." So he he like basically he he was like the lion at the gate, like keeping everybody back. And uh, basically, I think, I don't know if any of us would have stayed. I don't know if I would have stayed. It was too hard. It was, I went from being like a punk, you know, like a hardcore kid in New York City to being like a girl in the women's ashram. It's like kind of like being a nun. And it was a big step. But then when I got to be in 108, I was like, okay, this, this is like a service I can wrap my head around. I don't know if I could have stayed how long I would have stayed if it was just me kind of like literally folding the towels in the towel and stuff like that. Cause he always, always talked about even in the early days, how like, like you mentioned like a double dropout, like you, there were the yeah. hippies that dropped out and then the hippies or the people that dropped out to become hippies. And then the hippies would drop out to become devotees. It was like double, you know, and yeah. the same thing like with Timothy like, Leary, like, Tune in, drop out. <laughs> yeah. Tune in, turn on, and drop out, or whatever he he said. Yeah, like that was the same thing with the punks. We were like double dropouts. I always thought, you know, one of the things I loved about these early Shelter records was Raghunath's lyrics and the way he was able to make stuff. Even though there's some songs I think that are clearly, you know, it's like this is. Krishna stuff for lack of a better term, but I think some of the lyrics are really universal and you could relate to them regardless of what you believed. Um, he just had a real way, I think with making songs that were relatable. Yeah. He and, still does that. Now you see him when he teaches yoga things like he'll, he'll ask questions. Like, I mean, in the end, every person, every human has the question of, you know, like the the questions that bring about all the great world philosophies and even the questions that tie into people looking at scientific method, they're all the same. Like, why are we here? Where did we come from? What's the, what's the goal of life? So he was, he's able to do that. I think he has like a, a real knack for, for making that really relatable and really accessible and feel like, like it makes sense. It's logical. I was listening, well, when we were listening to the lecture last night on quest for certainty, the, the teacher who he kept saying, it's just logical, it's common sense. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, this sounds like, I remember hearing those and thinking, okay, this isn't some like lofty, crazy philosophy. It's like, it's common sense that you know, things, things there, there's lots of suffering in the material world and there's, there's a remedy for the suffering. Uh, and, and the devotees were able to, presented and through the lyrics of, of like quest for certainty and then later attaining the Supreme. And hopefully I don't want to like blow up 108 too much, but I didn't write the lyrics. So I can say like, I think those lyrics too, they, they kind of 
different aspect of, of Krishna philosophy, but I think kids, you know, you got enough out of those to have a sense of like, is this, is this a spiritual path or a path that I want to commit myself to or not? And I think, I think he's, I think Raghunath was able to do that really well. Yeah. There's still people at at temples that got involved because of hearing shelter. Yeah, I mean, you're you're looking at two, two hardcore kids right here that are, devotees and we're not like we haven't been devotees for 30 plus years like y'all you know and so at some point we had to come to this uh philosophy and be like yes this is this is the better way that i think that i want to take for my life and you know we're still here and i'm currently in a krishna core band in 2023 (laughs) that wouldn't wouldn't be a thing at all if it wasn't for these records and if it wasn't for equal vision, you know, that just wouldn't exist that paved the way for what we're doing right now. So it's still working. We're still out here doing service. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have picked up a Bhagavad Gita. I mean, a Bhagavad Gita, if it wasn't for knowing about this stuff from shelter and one Oh eight. And it wasn't like, you know, for, for me, the way it happened too, it wasn't like it was something where I was like, I'm on a big shelter kick right now. Sure, yeah. I'm going to get a Bhagavad Gita. Like I hadn't listened to shelter probably in a couple years or whatever and happened to see devotees. And I thought, oh, and I, I you know, got a I Bhagavad don't listen Gita. to shelter that much. I'd rather listen to 108 personally. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you. So when, um, when I went on uh, the youth of today, um, um, whatever that last tour, 1988. What is that record? Um, yeah, I can't remember the name. The Caroline record. We're not. We're not in this alone. Yeah, when I went on, we're not in this alone tour. Um, uh, I had kind of lost. T- I had been out of touch with 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 Capo. Like it was more Purcell. Like uh, I did. I did shows in Albany. Um, Dave Stein and I, I live with Dave Stein. He put on the shows in Albany. So in the beginning, like youth today played their second show in, in Albany. That's when I met him. And then Purcell went to college in Oswego and that's like Western New York. So he had no friends at college. He would come to Albany every weekend. And so we became friends. And then when youth of today, um, right before, I remember before they played CBs the first time they came to our house and we cleared out a space in the basement and they practiced there. And then we all went down Sunday to their, to their show. But like, it was like their home. I mean, I, I think we did shows every two weeks and probably once a month youth of today played. And so that was there when they actually moved to New York playing in Albany kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, but I hadn't seen him in a while. And we went on on tour. I didn't know he was getting into Krishna consciousness. And I had gotten like um, a book off the subway, Higher Taste. And I had read it. And then they had to write away for another one. You 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 write away. And I think I wrote wrote and I got Easy Journey to Other Planets. But I just had like two or three of the, the small books. And then we went on tour. Like we're, you know, I picked everybody up outside Sammy's house. because I, I wasn't supposed to go on the tour. They got their money from Caroline. They signed a, a, an advance and got an advance from Caroline, and they bought a van, and the van blew up on the first time they took it. I think they were driving through Rhode Island, and they seized the engine. 
and like just bought it for some guy. So then I had this huge tour, which is another like May to September kind of tour set up. And uh, they didn't have a van and I had a van. And so I, I said, Purcell called me and said, can you go? And I said, yeah. So I went down and got him. And then Ruggenoth, like he, well, he, he brought some books to distribute. But one of the books was Bhagavad Gita. So I pick it up. I have no clue what's going on. And I remember at a show, I think he and I were standing together. And somebody came up and said, saw Bhagavad Gita. And like, Bhagavad Gita, this is about, this is about a war. I'm like, no, 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 it's not about a war. <laughs> it's about God. <laughs> and it really is about a war. <laughs> it's a conversation that happens when they're, when they're just about to fight a giant war. But we had no clue. And we didn't even know, but we were able to like go out there and get them out in people's hands and who knows what, what became of those. But like, it is, it is cool to see, you know, the people that went on that, that tour 30 years ago, it's cool to see how many are, are still around, still doing stuff, still are, you know, our, our friends and to hear about the, you know, everybody. It's, it's, it's great. I think that hopefully everyone sees that as a pretty good time in their, in their life. I'm sure I didn't appreciate it as much as I, when it was happening as I do now, but that was, you know, that was great. And to get hardcore kids, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to get someone to join something, but just to get someone to like understand that there's maybe some kind of philosophical, you know, reality behind the philosophical reality that they're handed to every day. That's something meaningful. So. One of the great moments and, was uh, when 108 did those shows like before the pandemic, right before the pandemic. And I looked out in the audience and there were like all the guys, like many of the guys that went on tour and their, their wives, but then their kids were all up front and there were girls singing along to 108. And, and my son and daughter were like moshing with my friend Karuna's kids. And I was like, okay, this is sick. This, this worked. It was like amazing. And I was just realizing that we have this whole like community of people that, that grew out of that. Hopefully you guys too, right? A little bit, a little tiny bit, maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, that, and that, that show, those shows were, yeah, they were, that was like one of the last things I saw before the pandemic, I think was the one Oh eight, uh, in New York. Yeah. Just like something that was like, hopefully like there, there is, and I, I sort of didn't realize that, that the whole Krishna core thing was still relevant, but then I realized, you know, it just, it kind of, it's like a self, it's like a self self cleaning oven. No, it's not a, like a self cleaning oven, it's a self perpetuating thing. You know, it just keeps seeding itself and there's new generations of people. And then there was like, you know, I get messages from people like in Indonesia and, and in like all over the world who love shelter in 108. And it's like, it's kind of remarkable. Cause I don't know if like some metalhead in Indonesia is really going to like join the Hare Krishna temple, but they do listen to that. And it's, I, for me, that's like, you know, I feel like we've done something good for the world. And that was really a cool sort of thing that grew out of all of this. Yeah, like have. even if you yeah, just get people into did like get forced to marry yeah. me because of a cult. <laughs> actually, have a speaking of Indonesia, a sealed Indonesian version of the Quest for Certainty cassette. This wow. is the level of nerdery that I participate in. 
currently. So yes, it's reached this kind of level of cassettes. <laughs> that's that's a high Someone bootleg that, or that's um, I don't know if it's. I mean, if you, if if you're saying it's bootlegged, it I is. Don't know. I mean, uh, Jordan could have licensed it to somebody, but I, I, he, that's not usually not his style. Yeah, the smoking crocodile. They did this, and uh, I also have a sealed copy of Perfection of Desire from the wow. same label in Indonesia. He but just these two to open records. them, open them live. On I the do. Air. I like to box break like in the outro are, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing on them. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just turns out it's just sermons. Yeah. So, Hav, you think it's time to kick? I think the, it's uh, time to kick hot tracks. Yes. Hot tracks. Let's hot kick tracks. a hot track. What's your favorite song in the record? On, on Quest. Uh, my favorite song is Sharanagadi. Yes. Oh, dude. <laughs> Steve thinks I don't know any songs on any records, and uh, he's a little <laughs> right. But... <laughs> Hav, how about you? Yeah, I would say Free Will. Uh, I, I love the, the the energy and the tempo. It's it's a it's a great and it's very to me. It's, you can tell that there's different guitar players from the other songs. It sounds it sounds different to me. And Graham wrote that one, I think he told us. Uh, really? Graham Land. Yeah, I think, I think. Sorry if I'm speaking out of school for some. No, you're correct. Knows, but I feel like he you told us when we did better than I a thousand. Mm-hmm. JC, he mentioned, you, didn't even, you didn't even know that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't know much about it. I love Graham. That's all right. No. Wait, um, is Graham the uh, polystyrene yeah. guy? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so he wrote he to wrote talk that to on the phone because of Graham. So nice. that was a cool moment for me. Yeah, he's awesome. He was really cool. To, we talked to him for battery and for uh better than a thousand. I have to um, go pay the furnace, man. Yep. Bye. I snuck that one in. Thank you. All right. Uh Jason. No, Sachi, kick your kick your hot track. I, I I like Sharanagati too. It's like nice. anthemish to me. Like the meaning, you know, like he, you know, he, he's good. Raghunath is good. He can uh, like, uh, as close as I am to him. And when you get really close to people, you tend to find their faults. Um, but he is really good at this. Like taking a mood, putting words to it. And giving it the passion it needs to like react with other people, it's like it's it's good. So, but I, I have perfection of desire, I like that record also. Mm-hmm. I never heard mantra, even though when I went to play um, uh, play Quest for Certainty on Spotify, and I saw that the first nine tracks are all mantra tracks, I was like, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard mantra? I don't think so. Uh, I don't it's think 2023 is not the time to start. It's way different than uh, attaining the Supreme or the yeah. early stuff. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of, for a lot of people, that's like the touchstone shelter. I mean, obviously it got in a lot of people's hands being on Roadrunner. Um, Jason, I'm curious what your hot track is. Yeah, I'm so shocked that I thought everyone was going to say free will. I was mm. totally expecting everybody to say free will. And that I was going to be the outlier with Sharonagati, which I totally thought was pronounced Sharonagati. But it's because I love how shaky Ray's voice is at the beginning, like he's letting you in on 
the knowledge that he has, and at the end, it breaks confidential out with the, knowledge with the rap. I love the surrounded by people, but left all alone. Isn't Is that sure? correct? Isn't surrounded sure by people, anybody, right? I, were you? No. I I totally thought I it was Serenagati. Like, sometimes S H. I'm trying to visualize the the well like, uh, written in diacritics. Yes, yeah, the diacritic mark. Let me see. Yeah, not I'm on the to- record. I'm totally going from the way that Ray sounds in my head, so I have no. I, Jason, I always thought it was Sarnagati yes, as well. Oh, did you? Okay, that okay. So the accent is above the S, which means that it's the S H. Yeah, it's the it's the S H in the front behind the teeth, not the because there's two different S H's. Okay. The dot but, underneath is like in the back of the throat, I believe. Even as someone that's not into Krishna consciousness, I still can relate to what he's saying at the end of that song. And I think that everybody can relate to that. And that's why, I don't know. It's just, it's just a cool song. It's and funny because when Go I ahead. first heard that song, I remember being like, this is fucking weird. Like uh-huh. It, it is weird. Like, like I remember being like, no, f- like of the single, I was like, free wills the song. Like yeah. certain, I was like, this song's kind of weird. Now I love it, but at, you know, as a sixteen-year-old kid hearing it, I was like, what the hell? And I too thought for hot tracks, I thought, oh, I'm gonna pick one that everybody's gonna pick, and nobody picked it, and mm. that's in defense of reality. Ah, um, the yo. lyrics for that, I remember, you know, being someone who, like a lot of people, raised in a sort of like Christian house. And you re- you reject it, and it was I was agnostic or whatever. But even then, it got me thinking. Like I always thought, the lyric, uh, "Would you take the same stand if there's a gun in my hand, or would you beg oh. for your salvation?" Pause. We'll see. Yeah, like we'll see. I thought that was so deep, and uh-huh. like you hear a lot about these people that are, you know, they don't believe in any type of higher power or whatever, and then when they're absurdity. In yeah, when they're on death's door, they're confronted with a situation like that. They like instinctively will like pray. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that whole concept and the lyrics and the way he presented it was thought provoking and definitely like planted a little seed that took a long time to, you know, fructify, as it were. But mm-hmm. that's the song for me. And I love I love the guitar work. Hey, speaking of the guitar work on this track, I sent, I, I, I know you didn't click on it in the group chat, but the version of In Defense of Reality that I sent to you guys this morning, there's like an extended ska, like reggae section in the middle of it. And Raghunath starts to sing on it and then he stops himself and he lets them like get into the pocket a little bit. And they're like, oh, I've seen that this. one. Is that from the, um, that Reading Fest? It's from like, um, uh, it's that the 2011 11, yeah, you're talking where about. it has That's, like, Daniel from Daniel from Sweden on guitar, oh, I think, right. and yeah. Tim Brooks maybe is Tim uh, Bold on. I base? think I saw that version of Shelter. Uh huh. And they played Albany, and they were staying at the house, but I wanted to heckle. You know, uh, I was I was going to wait for a quiet moment and yell, "Play the ska song." <laughs> <laughs> but there was it was uh, it was like a, not a good show, and so there wasn't enough. Uh, people there for me to get get away when it's you would have got singled out <laughs> <laughs> well steve thanks so much for joining us yes yeah, uh, awesome letting us punish you this is my uh, first podcast ever no way Whoa, that's so cool. no way. you yeah, seriously sound like a pro seriously you do oh, yeah I'm we like, should get 
Uh, after we get through all of the revelation releases, we'll do then we'll vision, start then. over with equal vision. <laughs> we'll be I'll be so, like 70. Yeah, we'll see you in, in 42 years <laughs> when we're done with revelation. Because there's so records. much more that we could have talked about because I've I've got questions about the What's up, y'all? It's Javier. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Buskey, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Ryan Walker, Ryan White, Tad Payton, uh, Tim Shear, Tyler from the Life and Death Brigade, and Siren Records. Listen, I already talked to you about it, but I'm going to say it again. Go to www.whereitwedpodcast.com. Find out how you can join our Patreon and unlock all sorts of bonus material. And other than that, we'll see you next week or next episode. Bit of both.